Welcome to the Where Two or Three podcast, Christian thinkers finding their place at the table of communication scholarship. Before we begin, the views and discussions of this podcast do not necessarily reflect agreement with the views of Martin Luther College. And we will begin with our favorite prayer. The eyes of all wait upon thee, O Lord, and thou givest them their food at the proper time. Thou openest thine hand and satisfies the desires of every living thing. Amen. That is, again, the only time I talk King James. Amen. But I have my reasons. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, John. Yeah, today we're talking about um, media ecology. So um, quite a few things to cover. A very interesting topic that's kind of coming into its own again after a, a little bit of a lapse. But I believe you have a good introduction that actually stems from, from Scripture. So, Absolutely. This is from Second John, the very end of John's letter. And by media ecology, we're, we'll be talking a lot about technology. And uh, one of our, both of our favorite theory, one of the favorite theories is what John mentioned, what you mentioned, John. So the end of Second John, uh, the apostle writes this, I have much to write to you. But I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. It's just, to me, fascinating to think what John is actually doing is he's making a decision about technology. He's making a decision about the technology of writing. And he's making a decision about what he wants to say and what is the best medium to say it. And so it's a very sort of simple, obvious example of that. But the implications uh, we hope to get to talking about today um, is how the church really does face that same decision in all kinds of ways. Exactly. As far as uh, technology and its encroachment in the sanctuary and all sorts of things like that. So John is thinking in those kind of terms. We don't maybe naturally think of writing as technology, but it is. It's it's uh, an artificial communication yeah. medium. So there and is a Yeah, simple... we'll touch a little bit more on that specific technology a little bit later once we get towards the... The definitions of such. Mm -hmm. um, but I think to, to start off, uh, it's hard to not mention uh, Marshall McLuhan. Um, he was a um, professor and a student of uh, communication kind of in the early days, right around World War II, when uh, mass media propaganda and those things were beginning to be studied as an actual um, field of, of education. So um, right around then, he uh, he had this um, idea of how the medium that we use to transfer messages is uh, a valuable thing to look at when you look at the um, communication in general. So taking into taking all of those things into context, and he actually um, proposed that these changes in technology and the changes in the mediums that we use to communicate with one another are he would say more important than the actual content of the messages. And so he looked throughout history and found times when very significant technological advances, such as being able to write things down, making words live longer than just what they did when they were only oral. And he looked throughout history and kind of made some judgments about, you know, how has this changed the way that we talk to one another how has this changed the way that we um, interact with one another as a as a whole species? And very interesting, very interesting stuff. So we'll we'll get into a little bit of that. Um, 
we had the example we were talking about before with writing. Uh, is it Plato? Was he the one who was skeptical of of writing things down? Yeah, or? Plato. Uh, this might have come up before in our podcast. We were trying to remember <laughs> yeah. what we've talked about um, in this medium. But uh, yeah, Plato saw writing and was deeply suspicious of it. He was afraid of words getting to the wrong audiences. He had a strange, almost sexual way of thinking about words uh, coupling with the wrong audiences. So, yeah. you know, words kind of breaking free of the of the communicator. So write, written technology separates the communicator from the communication. And he, again, deeply worried, deeply suspicious about that, along with other... Um, kind of petty worries about what will happen to memory, things like that. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that uh, across the whole scope of people who study technology, they all kind of fall in two camps, those that are deathly afraid of technology, that the world's going to end now, and those that see salvation in in technology. And McLuhan um, would be on the side of, of a very positive view. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere he writes about how technology is like a whirlpool and we're the sailor on a ship you know, lost in the whirlpool. And he says, um, you might as well study it. You might as well study the thing, yeah. you know, you can't uh, escape because you're not going to escape it. You're not going to turn back the clock, you know, cultures right. that are, that have writing literate cultures never can go back to orality. Writing. And I think that's one of the more important points about media ecology is that these changes happen and they're irreversible. Exactly. We, we can't go back and experience what it's like to live in an only oratory culture right we we will we we i mean maybe we can forget a few things or like lose familiarity if we were to go live like that for a a long time but i mean we can't know what it's like to truly experience a world where there was no literature right or nowhere for words to persist beyond when they are spoken so and that's just the first of many technological advancements that changed the way that media was spread and the way that we interact with one another. Right. If I could insert one of my favorite examples, because it's just an easy one, and then maybe yeah. come back to the yeah. to the writing. But I, I always think about the iPod. Okay, so um, McLuhan's famous phrase is, you've already alluded to it, is the medium is the message. And that's, I think, widely misunderstood. By the medium is the message, what he's saying is, well, take the iPod example. When the iPod first comes out, or, or when kids could listen to music right on their on their earbuds or earphones or whatever, yeah. most people, like most parents, their concern would naturally be entirely with the content. So they're they're saying, "I don't know what my child is listening to." Right? Is mm-hmm. it Charlotte Church or is it Alana Morissette yeah. or I mean, who, somebody in between? Yeah. And so McLuhan would say that is really a distraction to what's really going on. The content matters. We know that. But he's saying the real story is what the technology is doing. Um, for example, an example, music just became a private experience, and that's a you know that's a dramatic, cataclysmic mm-hmm. change that music is now private, privately enjoyed. And we've we have a new way to isolate ourselves in public. We have a new way to take our privacy with us in in public space. And those are the kinds of things McLuhan says. You know, uh, he he, t- he calls content like a piece of meat the burglar throws to the dog to distract the dog. What's really going on is he's breaking into the house, right? And, yeah. And so he's saying, look at what the technology itself is doing in setting up uh, an environment. And, and now our communication is going to conform to the constraints of that ecology, exactly. so to speak. Yeah. And I think, I know he's been criticized for 
I mean, it's a highly contested phrase, the medium is the message. And I think part of it is just because that's the the world he was living in was so content focused, especially around, you know, World War Two when studying those kinds of messages was was there. And so I don't I don't know if I'd call it a corrective, but he's kind of saying, let's look at the bigger picture and see what else is going on. Where where's the real burglar? Exactly. And what's what's really happening to to the way. Exactly. And we'll come around to the church later, but the issue is no one knows until a generation passes what we've done to yeah. our experience and perceptions is you can't predict. Like a, an example I like is when air conditioning was invented, it destroys neighborhood community. And no one saw that coming, right? It yeah. destroyed that people would sit on their front front wide open porches and converse. And yeah. you know, who saw that coming? Nobody did. And so, you know, I don't have anything profound to say about screens and technology in church. I just think it's changing how we experience the Word of God, and we ought to maybe have a conversation about that yeah. before it, we just adopt everything. Yeah, yeah. It's, and to be thoughtful and mindful about what the consequences are. I think that's, uh, if, if it wasn't Marshall himself, one of his uh, other contemporaries were very focused on how can we use this new technology or this new understanding of how technology influences us to make judgments or um, like ethical judgments about the verity of, of using technology in those places. You know, is this a proper thing to do? What are the, like, what are the things that we gain from it? What do we lose because of this? Exactly. So looking at it in that, in those terms is something that hadn't been done before. And now, so again, the the second really, useful example is writing. And I, some of the most interesting things I've ever read is about technology revolutions and like Walter Ong's book, Orality and Literacy, I think it's called Walter mm-hmm. Ong, yeah. Orality and Literacy. And so as you alluded to a moment ago, I mean, the technology of writing changes what words are. Now there's, there used to not be a place to look for them and now there's a place to, to look for them, you know, and in a world of sound, you exist inside the sound. That's how you kind of experience it. A visual world is in front of you. And and so Ong says it's really changing something fundamental about human orientation from or, oral to visual. And and yeah, now a man's words can can be in a thousand places. Now a man can speak to the future, you know. And now a man can... I think the biggest thing is a person can acquire in a day what took lifetimes of, for other people to acquire. And so Ong writes brilliantly about how the technology of writing, you know, it it really did rewire brain structures given the plasticity of our brains and it carved out a whole a whole kind of interior world, the world of a book, you know. Yeah. So you got a thought? Yeah, I think um I don't know if this is maybe a little bit out there, but my one of my favorite movies is uh, called Arrival and it's actually an alien movie. But it focuses on like the primary, like the goal of like the plot of the movie is they have to learn how to communicate with the aliens who just kind of appear there and are just hanging out. Like, why are they here? How do we talk to them? That's the main, that's the main barrier that drives the plot forward. And so the, it, what's it called? Determin, deterministic, linguistic determinism, where, you know, the way that we understand language changes the way that we think. And there are two different interpretations or two different uh, understandings of this as like a hard determinism or a soft determinism. And I think it's related to media ecology in the same way, in the same way that language sort of, I mean, it does mold the way that we 
interact with one another, especially if you're considering like cultural differences between us. Mm -hmm. The way that we interact with one another is in part due to the language that we have with one another versus, you know, a different language from a different culture. And then one of the criticisms of media ecology would be that it's technology deterministic. So the technology determines everything. And then again, there are two different ways that you can look at that. Is it a hard determinism or is it uh, something that goes hand in hand? It helps shape that thing. And I think I would agree with the latter, that it's it's kind of both of these things intertwined. It's not that the content is now irrelevant, and it's not that the way that technology advances means that we have no agency to control how that is used. Um, we do have an agency. We do have a way to, to look at and kind of weigh the options of, you know, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? And we can make choices about that that do help shape. It's not like we're, we have no, no say in how the, these technologies that come around us, um, influence mm-hmm. our lives. And that, that's, I think where maybe we can do that, uh, in the church as well as in our own lives as we can, since we do have an agency, we do have a way to sort of look at these things that, that gives us maybe not even an ability, but like an onus to, to consider these things as we make changes or make no changes in the way that we worship or interact or share our faith. Very true. I I find myself often making the comment that theory raises good questions. And so we can be critical of the idea of media ecology all you want, but I, you you can't resist how powerful the question is. What is what is the technology itself doing? Um, like Facebook technology, redefining what a friend is, things like that. Yeah. You know, that's very much apart from the content. Um, it's really the medium. So, you, you know, when you think about what were the really big revolutions, that this kind of helps us make sense of the idea. So writing was the biggest one. The Whoever that first Phoenician was, I would say, the first Phoenician that figured out how to take any sound you can make with your mouth and put it on the page. No more drawing pictures of things, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, so, what can be said can be written down all of a sudden, and we could we could stray into the thought of how brilliant God is for designing that. How else could yeah? How else could you speak to this and generation? How from, instrumental that is from four thousand years ago. How else could you do that? But with writing, I that's don't know the sole medium that we are able to know like to know. Yeah. Anything it's through scripture, which yeah. is that medium so yeah, people say why well, listen to an old book why well, care about an old book but tell me a better way <laughs> that God yeah, communicates to generations in an unchanging way I just you know especially before the advent of today's technologies so the the second I think great example uh, is uh, the printing press so writing writing itself does one thing and then the printing press does another thing which is you know I think Ong says it gave us the man with the book in it you know it um it gave to books a, a certain kind of authority. Now words are more fixed and more regular. And and the big thing is um, how quickly people can read now. And now we've got books in in homes and places to read in homes. And um, uh, for the first time, all of Europe, Europe could be thinking the same thought, that kind of thing. Rousseau, I think, talked about how, how writing actually created childhood. Writing made it the case that information would come to children in a very careful way according to their development, you know, just by what's packaged in books. And yeah. the internet is destroying childhood. It's wiping down all those 
boundaries and borders. And now an eight-year-old is seeing pornography. It just hurts your heart to think about that. So again, it's just another good example of, of it's the medium that was where much of the story lies. And not that content is irrelevant. We Christians could never, by that premise, content is everything. It's just yeah. not the only thing to, to be examining. For sure. And I think McLuhan recognized that as the next big technological advancement as well. He had the, I mean, I'm looking it up now. He said he had the tribal age, which is before literacy, then the literacy age, the print age when it was now, you don't have to write everything. It's just much easier to get across. And then the electronic age, which kind of started around the 1900s sure. with, with radio sure, and, sure. and and those kind of advancements. And I think that, I mean, you can, you can categorize it however you want. You could say maybe the internet is the next one. That's just an upgrade to the electronic age, well, or sure, I it's think a, maybe the revolution we are in right now, although it's been a few years already, is it's analogous to um, to paper. So we could write on big rocks at one point, and paper's invented now. Now that writing can just be transported easily and go all over the world, right? Yeah. So now, now with computing on our phones, so to speak, I mean that that itself was a similar kind of thing. Now we take it all with us wherever we go. Yeah. And that changes perceptions of time and space and presence and all sorts of things. So I've I've often kind of just said the jury well before my sabbatical a few years back, my the jury was still out on what is that doing to us, you know, iPhone technology and yeah. so on. And now the jury's coming back in and we maybe want to talk about that a little bit now is what is it doing? And to I relationship? think that might be why media ecology as a as a theory is sort of coming back after it was kind of first popularized it you know i think had so, its too. time and, and now it's it's becoming more important because these changes we can see them happening around us and yeah, people yeah. are asking those questions exactly and this, the questions are so this vital. gives us the tools to ask the right kinds of questions and then you know hopefully find some answers right. that that can determine how we right. proceed so so an aspect of it is how is how technology changes us Right. So a simple analogy of a shovel that, you know, you have a shovel, you become very good at using a shovel and your hands become callous and certain muscles form. And so it's really the technology has changed you and by what it's asking you to do. And so, you know, texting technology is changing us. It's making us good at that medium, making us good at that kind of communication, maybe not so good at sustaining thought over longer, yeah. you know, longer periods. Well, and I remember like even the limitations that the technology of texting imposed, especially when it first came out, is there were limits to how many texts you could send. Exactly. There were, and there are still some media formats around that do purposefully limit what you can say. Like Twitter, you have a character limit. You have to get your message across in under whatever, 240 characters now. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's just intriguing to me. That's yeah, it is. It, it, and of course, texting technology brought the phenomenon of emoticons as people naturally felt the lack of the communication richness that you have in face-to-face. And, and it's yeah. interesting to see how technology is bringing certain things bringing the richness back in, like yeah. Skype and those kinds of things. Um, and that's an interesting conversation by itself, mm-hmm. is how much can you replace face-to-face communication Yeah, in, you know, with I, technology? Right, I see both sides. I, um, Joe Walther is the scholar that has this theory called SIP, 
so social information processing is the theory. And what he's saying somewhat counterintuitively is that relationships develop more slowly over technology, but he really thinks they can get to a place that is every bit as significant. And he began by studying um, pen pals in World War II. And it's all writing. That's all it was, right? It's just words on a page. But those relationships were very, very significant. And so part of, for me, the pushback, if I can tend to fall on the negative side of technology, is this a good or bad thing? Part of the pushback is that theory that says, it makes me remember some of my some of my most profound communication with my kids was over text. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just, again, a good question to ask is what the technology is changing. But it, it really isn't. Well, it isn't a negative or positive. At the same time, I don't, I don't like people saying, "Well, it's neutral." See, that's what media yeah. ecology is saying. No, don't say technology is neutral because it's a big factor. Because it it is a factor in its own and right. The way that you choose to communicate is different. So, like sending a text versus sending snail mail. Yeah, but texting made written communication much, much more readily available between people, any two given people. And that, what does that do? Like, what the consequences of this is now you can, you just have easier access. But it also makes the importance of a written letter much more different, at least. You could argue more significant. It becomes so, a good example of the medium is a message that I got this beautiful, yeah. perfumed, yeah. handwritten letter yeah. from my bride, you know? Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, it's there's something about the. And maybe, the there, maybe there's something to the since it's more difficult to communicate that way, but you chose that way anyway, that says something. Exactly. And that's the, and that's what I think like the medium is the message is all about is, is it, those, those choices are not insignificant and they deserve the attention. They deserve to be part of the brought to the table and, exactly. And discussed. It's like me having my students take handwritten notes in class, you know, because, if they're going to be typing notes on a laptop, they're just taking dictation. But if they're going to handwrite, it's slower. And there's already a critical thinking piece built into that as they are deciding what what, what here is important, you know, what's salient here in my yeah. own words as they take notes. So, I mean, finally, we're, the, the decision John is making, you know, I, want, I have more to say, but not pen and ink. It yeah. really is a decision we're making constantly, mm-hmm. uh, a, a pastor or teacher deciding about a difficult conversation. Okay, is this email or is this not email? What is the appropriate vehicle? Yeah. You know, so and we I've do had those before. This. Like you have so many different ways that you can send a, like a, a text, so to speak, or a written communication. You have email, text, any of the various messaging systems that you can through social media, writing a letter. There's probably a few that I don't even know of that, that you could use that. Absolutely. Yeah. The uh, <clears throat> One of the big burdens for me, um, and if any student were listening, they've heard this before, but... Um, I'm all it, ears. It goes so. back to uh, Sherry Turkle has two books. One is called Alone Together, a very ironic um, double entendre kind of title, Alone Together. And I think the subtitle is Why We Expect More From Technology and Less From Each Other. So she is on the negative side of it, the kind of, not a doomsayer... But sort of a doomsayer. Yeah. And her second book is called, and well researched, beautifully written, is called Reclaiming Conversation. And what she's writing about, her burden, what makes her a doomsayer is that 
she's looked at a lot of research and what's happening to kids, especially. So kids, you know, to wake up with technology, fall asleep with your phone. What's this doing? And the main thing she sees is that certain core human capabilities are eroding, mainly empathy and perspective taking. And I, th I think she draws the lines to little kids not looking in mom's face nearly as much and having their mirror neurons trained to, you know, the, there's yeah. this whole beautiful science of what face-to-face -face really means and what's really happening face-to-face. -face. And, and the fact that they're not getting as much of that means that children, I mean, it's just falling off a cliff as far as... as well, I it's said, essentially like dopamine, taking. right? When, like, the, the, inst the, the same parts of your brain that respond to like oh sure almost drugs the, the addictive quality, the addictive of, quality of, of that kind of media just and, and just fear of missing out if i'm in. not yeah hyper connected and and the whole world being brought into the lives of children without any filter you know as just one yeah. place to lay the blame for the epidemic of anxiety mm. among children and there's other ways to think about that but that's for sure one of the one of the factors or because um, you can so, only be connected to so many people right, at any given time, right. and I don't know if she talks about that, but well, what is it? How many relationships can you actually sustain right. in in your life? Is it maybe like a hundred fifty or so? Like, yeah, or maybe a little more if they're acquaintances, or maybe a little less. But sure, there's there's a limit to you can't be connected to everyone all the time, right? And if if your only way to connect to people is through a superficial for lack of a better term that I can think of right now, but like a superficial connectivity to other people via a medium that we are still learning about. And that is for me, the that is a significant, it's a hard question. Yeah. A, a child that only connects through technology. Do you say, well, thank God she has that. Otherwise she would be completely isolated. Or do you say she'll never know what a real friend is? If this is what she has, will she ever know? what an actual friend is in the full dimensions of relationship. And that's a really hard question, but I, I, th I think what I like about Sherry Turkle is that she offers some solutions. So mm -hmm. in other words, you know, we offer some balance in saying writing is beautiful. <laughs> you know, it just makes things possible that are poignantly human, even though it's artificial. So we're not just going to be death on technology compared to the days you send a, your missionary brother across the sea and you're going to see him again and you, who knows. Yeah. Right? So technology is beautiful for allowing us to connect. So I think what Sherry Turkle is really worthwhile reading, um, Reclaiming Conversation, she really offers three ways to, to uh, what should we say, maintain these human capabilities. And the, and the three are, and I push this on my students and I build my courses around these three. One is solitude that we just need to carve out time. That uh, She writes about how we're developing our sense of self and solitude, and she writes about how we need to get past, we need to become comfortable with what she calls the boring bits. There's, there's a reason to have that kind of time when we're by ourselves, when we're thinking, meditating, praying, thinking deeply, reading. And, and so that's her second thing. After solitude, there is that we still engage with text. There's something that books bring you that uh, doesn't come in other ways as far as, again, um, critical thinking and experiencing really beyond that, the full breadth of human experience comes in many ways through reading. Um, and we're very deeply impoverished without books. 
I believe. And the third thing is just the obvious one is that we have face-to-face -face improvised conversation that we, even the presence of a phone, she has research on, even the presence of a phone turned off changes what you talk about as your part of your mind is ready for the distraction, you know? And so those three things, face-to-face, real-time, I think about the supper table at our house, you know, that's disconnected, you know? So it's solitude, face-to-face, and reading, and she makes the argument that we can maintain the beauty of technology and not not continue to erode yeah. some basic human qualities like empathy. Mm -hmm. Is that the book that's set up with Tolstoy's chairs? The chairs, like the one chair, the that, two chairs definitely. of me and another person. I'm not going to remember. And it, then the third yes. is like you with interacting with a group. I can't remember. That rings but, a bell. Yeah. yeah. But that's yeah. A, even even that by itself is a similar right. idea. That Definitely. And I, all I of these things are this, important. Yeah, so. yeah. I forgot to say it earlier, so this is maybe out of place. But another way to talk about where technology has gone is it used to be one-to-one. -one. All communication was one-to-one. -one, and then through mass media, it's one-to-the-many. You know, And now we're at a place... Everybody to everybody. No, everybody can talk yeah. to everybody. And again, the implications of this are we're just beginning to sort them through. Yeah. And McLuhan was seeing that even in even in his time in the like around World War Two. And he what did he call that? The the global village. Right. And and if he's right. able to see that just as radios coming out where you can hear things around the world, now it's like within moments almost everyone on the globe can know of something that's happened. It, so, which I, yeah. and that's an irreversible thing. We cannot go back to a time when that was not the case or understand what it was like to live in a time where that was not the case. Exactly. There's a new kind of public, which is to share an experience remotely. So the whole country watching nine 11. Yeah. That's, that's the new thing. That, yeah. You know, that, uh, mass media has brought us and so there's lots of other t tangents on this you know television mm -hmm. and Neil Postman and yeah you know amusing ourselves to death is just the premise that that television has brought an entertainment creep into every single thing that we now experience you know yeah. but there's that's maybe not I mean entertainment is something that I have a personal interest in so it's uh but maybe that is for another time. So, <laughs> maybe. Um, maybe we can go more towards then, you know, what does this mean for the church today? Sure. Because I think that's kind of what we're trying to do with this podcast is say, like, here's what here's what the world says about communication. Exactly. And here's what the world can bring to the table. And then what can we, how can we use that in a thoughtful, mindful, right. loving way? And I don't have any last word on this either. I, I, I think the conversation is a useful one. Um same thing for all the books that I've come across, Christian writers addressing the church on technology. All those books fall onto one or the other side of the divide. There are those that are just like, this is, let's exploit this for all it's worth. This is where we are right now as a culture. This is where, this is communicating to people the way they communicate and just, you know, um, no tamping of the, of the brakes at all. Just let's go for it. And then there are others that would say um, the church has a stewardship of things that, the world is now lacking and the stewardship of being face to face and the, you know to say there's a reason that we gather as a church there's a reason that we are in the same place physically yeah even if we can 
download all the podcasts you want of great sermons and stuff, there's still a reason to offer each other our presence and our touch and our yeah. our quietness and our and the, you know the 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 quiet of worship and so on, the orality of worship yeah. where the word of God comes to us and, in a spoken form. There's a reason for that, and yeah. so some writers are more championing that cause. And again, that's kind of where I would probably put myself. God, Jesus is God with skin on, not content yeah. to communicate with us remotely, but coming all the way down into, into our world to save us. And, um, so I just, I lean that way. Yeah. I and I, I think that I'm right about it. <laughs> I think that there's, I mean, if I were to give, uh, I, I wouldn't want to declare myself as on one side versus the other. I mean, both there is usefulness for new technology to understand it and to learn how, if there is a way, how to communicate that way to people that might be brought the message of truth. So that's what but, pulls and, me back to from my negativity. Yeah, definitely. yeah, and I think there's. I mean, you maintain a, a balance and an equilibrium between the. Not maybe those aren't the best words. You maybe it's more like a pendulum. And when it swings too far on one side, then it's it's like, well, maybe we should take a step back and and look at you know what are the consequences of this, of this happening. Uh, we talked briefly before we started recording, and you said, you know, what's the like an example of you know do you text your friend during the sermon and say like, what do you think of what do you think of this, and to explore something like that using the lens of media ecology, that that helps us understand that. That, that situation yeah. and make right. judgments about it. Okay, so what what do we gain from this? What do we lose from this? And again, and, so the question isn't what are we texting each other. The question is what have we just done to, yeah. to worship? What have we done to the time where not lecture but a sermon or exactly. uh, that and, that and, space? Right, and there my reading of the times, my you know sensitivity to hyperconnectivity, all of that. This, the superficial relationships that seem to come with that, all of that to me speaks to the church being a place that's different. The church being a, being a safe place away from all that noise and all, all of, you know, what the world is and the yeah. clamor and so on. And that changing what worship is for me means to make it interactive. You know, I, I would love to think of lots of fellowship before and after church and developing relationship. But worship itself is a dialogue between the, the believer and his and her God. And boy, to just, just because we can, we're going to, we're going to yeah. have this wide open space. Of yeah. So to throw caution shatter. to the wind and, right. and dive right into that and say, sure, go for it. You're, we, it is healthy to take a step back and, and look right. at. The main that. thing happening in worship is God is speaking to us. Yeah. God is, Bringing to us by the medium of His Word and sacrament, He's bringing to us what Christ, who Christ is, and what He's won for us, and that is, it's Him serving us. And personally, I'm just not willing to see that erode. And yeah. Again, whether people realize or not, how much they would, much they need and would benefit from, from, um, reprieve from technology. Yeah. I'm convinced that we do them a far greater service to carve out that space and let worship be what worship is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there are, I mean, of course, two sides to the coin and it's just media ecology just gives us the tools that we need to examine those things mm -hmm. and make judgments going forward. Absolutely. So I don't know if I have anything definitive to say about the church specifically, but more that I think maybe it's more important that 
the conversation happens. Exactly. Often, oftentimes exactly. I think that just bringing something like this to the table is, uh, you know, generates the discourse that you need to like work through these things exactly. and, and figure out what's happening. So, so I come back to the air conditioner, how many years had to pass before people realized something no one thought about yeah. happened because of a new technology. And so that's behind me urging kind of caution yeah, not to be early adapters. Mm-hmm. Um, probably would be yeah. what I would think. And I, I mentioned screens. I, it, it's not that I have a big burden about screens. I just think it's an, another example of we just changed how we receive the word of God. Let's think about it. You know, let's yeah. at least think about it. Um, yeah. And if, if, you know, if we, this all gets trumped by the ease of the visitor knowing what's happening, okay, but let's think about it is my, my only issue really. Yeah. And then and maybe there are places for where opportunity arises and being able to conduct outreach in new ways or reach people that we wouldn't have been able to without technology. I mean, those things are still on the table as well. And I don't want to, I think it's, again, this is a way to examine those things, not a judgment of those right. things themselves. So and personally, the, the conversation is more important than the, the judgment thereof. So, and, and yeah, personally to me, it's about the sanctuary, but I, I'm prepared to champion anyone that can figure out how to reach people through technology. So there's, yeah. for me, there's no negativity there yeah. really at all. I just mm-hmm. think this is, it's not a neutral thing. Mm-hmm. It's not just, it's good or yeah, bad depending on how you use yeah. it. There's more to the story, but yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not without consequence absolutely. whenever something God. changes like that. So what I couldn't remember if we talked about before, so I'll only do it briefly, but that was the Plato-Jesus contrast. So Plato worried about written text and Jesus telling the story of the sower who just flings the word of God wherever. Mm-hmm. And it's I, I think of the extravagance of that not concerned about where it goes he just he's going to throw it around uh, it's like the sun that shines on the evil and the good like rain that falls on the righteous and the unrighteous and so when jesus says that he has to have in his mind the full dissemination of his word he doesn't really explicitly say that i'm talking about the bible and the text yeah. that i'm going to be giving you through the apostles but i mean that is the fruition of that promise of the word just going everywhere and so that also pulls me back from my if, if I'm curmudgeon about technology, yeah. then I just see the word of God going to the ends of the world where people can't go, for example. Muslim countries where or places where it's just, you just can't be, yeah. can't be safe and speak the name Jesus on the street. Mm-hmm. So God has seen to that situation, right? So, and I think, yeah, we've, we've probably touched on this before, but in, I love the promise that's attached with that. That's in Isaiah that, that won't return empty, that will... That's purposeful, mm-hmm. and it will accomplish what it was set out to do. So, very good. Lots of, lots of wonderful things there. I think, so, I think you've tied a really nice bow on this. Do you think that's? I think so. Sort of that. Yeah. Are you ready to? You have a few more bites left in you for some dessert. Yeah, I do have a something kind of chewy. Maybe. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I can is, go for something there's, chewy. There's now no and again. segue here. There's nothing connecting that to this. Yeah. But. Um, what I do with communication, I, I, you know, personally, I try to be very thoughtful and I try to anticipate what might anybody say, contrary to, you know, what is my, my niche and yours, I guess. Um, something I had, a project I'd been part of recently, wrote a preface to a book called Quick to Listen, and I saw some anonymous feedback <laughs> that was not positive. <laughs> As anonymous feedback usually is. <laughs> no, no. Oh, that, 
triggers another story, but I'm going to yeah. save that for now. So the, the feedback was included this sentence that we don't need the world to teach us how to communicate. And I'm not sure exactly where that was pointed or where it was coming from, but, but there's the thought that we don't need to learn anything about communication sort of beyond the scriptures. And um, so it's just the kind of thing that I like to think about. So do I have an answer? Don't I have an answer? And I guess my first answer, and I'll let you could take a shot at this, John. My first answer is there's ways to agree with that sentiment. I, I think if a person were lacking the love of Christ for his or her neighbor, then nothing communication is going to ever teach you. The field of communication is going to teach you is going to make up for that lack. You can accomplish lots of great things with your communication, get lots of things you want out of the social world by following worldly principles, but there's no there's no making up for that lack. And at the same time, if you if you do have the love of Christ in in you by the Spirit, by His Word, then that does inform you in profound ways about because you see people for what they are, and you have a like I call a robust understanding of their condition and and of Jesus. And the Bible is the well of everything you could ever think to say to this person, right? So mm-hmm. there's a way we can say, yeah, I know where you're coming from when if if we just were to let ourselves get distracted and say, now the world is our teacher, not the scripture yeah. on how to treat people. And that, yeah, that's not what, I don't think that's what we were trying to say at all, if that's how it would come across. Yeah, and I don't yeah. know if right, not at all. that book would, I don't know, maybe there are some story that kind of emphasized more one side of that than the other and that would I'm I'm just trying to think of what would incur such a maybe like, I don't know if it's just a why why would you not look at what the world is saying and then you're not you're not saying for sure that this is going to change the way that you do anything. I mean there's verity in just understanding the way that the world talks because that's the world that we live in. That's the world mm-hmm. that we are called to do mission work in. And there's also not only bad things that come from that. And that, that again goes kind of back to this, the, what this podcast is all about. It's like the world does, human reason does come up with things that do enhance our understanding of one another and of scripture. And we can, we can use those things. And I'm not saying we have to use all of those and we have to do that all the time. And that's the only way that we're going to get information. Sure. But even scripture, as you first said in that, in, in John's words, I, I want, I have so much more to say to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. He's making judgments about the way that we, we talk to one another and the way that we talk to one another is changing in ways that scripture can't say because happened before you know so so being able to understand those things and ask the right questions gives us those tools that are you know i i would stand very steadfast on that that there is there is worth to to looking into these things and asking these questions i think we both found things personally useful yeah and you know i was thinking of an analogy of when people say the bible isn't a science textbook i mean that just drives me crazy because um, it's a false argument. I think they're trying to say that the Bible is irrelevant to science or something like that. And we know the Bible has a lot to say. God's Word has a lot to say about cosmology and origins and so on. And whatever it says, our knees bend to that. So, But if you're saying that the Bible is exhaustive on the subject of science, that the Bible says everything that could ever be said that's useful, I think we 
we wouldn't really buy that very easily. And so I don't know that we would say the Bible is comprehensive when it comes to everything you could ever want to think about, you know, in communication either. Um, what did the apostle say? Test everything, keep what's good. I, yeah. I think as far as, as you mentioned, human reason, what it's, there's things it can do and things it cannot take apart. Yeah. I think it's a fitting use of reason to be asking questions about how we treat other people. Um, I've been, you know, I've been to foreign mission fields. I've been really blessed to visit, I don't know, five or six from Siberia to you yeah. know, the Caribbean and world missionaries. I mean, they are obsessed with the question of how do I communicate with these people? You know, what, what are the things to do and not do? How do I come to a deeper understanding of my, of my audience? And that's just what, when I was in places like that, that's what we talked about all the time constantly. And so why would it be any different in our culture that we would be thinking seriously about how to listen, you know, yeah. things like that. Or, or when Peter talks about being gentle and respectful in controversy over the truth, especially when your back is against the wall. I happen to think it's useful to unpack that. What does that look like? What does that yeah. sound like? Especially g given the sensitivities of a certain time and place. I, I think these are very fitting questions. Yeah. And I don't think the Bible claims to be exhaustive. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know. So I, I think at the end of the day, I mean, the anonymous criticism coming in the form of a text where you can't see the emotions or what's driving it. Uh, if, if the... If the criticism is we don't need the world to understand or to teach us how to communicate, I would say yes, but it doesn't mean that we can't learn anything from it. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, that's well said. I think it's not, it's not prescribed as necessary. Of course, we don't need the world to teach us how to communicate to have faith, but the world is still there and sure. it very much has things that are are worth listening to as well. Yep. So yep. I think so that's too. Right? A, I guess that's how I would would enter so, that. And, so there's I mean, a range of yeah. things we're doing on this podcast. Yeah. I mean, we're we're sorting through in large part what Scripture does say. There's way more there than a person might ever even imagine that yeah. does inform communication right from the Word of God. We're letting those divinely inspired ideas complicate our view of communication and sometimes push back on certain theories. I have examples of that where I think the Bible says a theory is really not true. Um, but then there is a certain small space for, like our first episode, expectancy violation theory. I yeah. just think that's useful to, mm -hmm. to think through why I should care about my person and my nonverbal communication. Yeah. The Bible has a lot to say about nonverbal communication, tons of examples. In, and to in, have a theory that... It yeah. creates a lens to understand it even more deeply. Why not? Even to just have a newfound appreciation for the way that Jesus interacted with people. And yep, episode yeah, one. There yeah, it there it is. So again, there's nothing defensive about this. Yeah, not not at all. It's a very kind of question. I'm constantly testing myself. Mm -hmm. If God's word does every good thing in the soul, and nothing we can do will enhance what God's word does, then why care about? human interaction from a scholarly perspective. I mean, this is a question, the kind of question I hopefully am constantly testing myself with, but I end up being pretty confident that, yeah, there's something useful yeah, exactly. in this little, little tiny niche that well, This that is the have. chewiest dessert we've had yet, I think. <laughs> Tasty, I thought. Yeah, I like it. It's kind better than... Nice texture to it. and We kept it on the rails a little bit. <laughs> I noticed you took the bigger piece, John. <laughs> That's... I'll leave some for you next time. How about that? <laughs> Yeah, well, very good. I think um, 
I'm good with this episode. Yeah, I think I think that that kind of gives a nice overview, a summary, and some ways that you can use an understanding of media ecology and how technology influences the way that we interact with one another in a scriptural and God-pleasing way. So sure, and, and that if anything, like maybe you have a conversation, like it generates discourse or. Maybe it makes you think differently about the way that you interact with something. You just be more thoughtful in the way that you communicate. Yep. I mean, it does for me. So I. And the irony is not lost on I think either of us, John, that we are sitting here with microphones. In front yeah, of exactly. I was about to ask. Is <laughs> I was about to ask is what is what is the what does us recording a podcast say about. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Maybe our content isn't important at all. <laughs> in podcasts. <laughs> We're the, the early adopters. We're the late adopters. Of we're very podcasts. late. I think technology is probably moving on any day now, but podcasting yeah. is fun. By the way, yeah. I didn't mention we are coming to you from the Pauston porch. Yeah, the first time we've been outside the well, the room we've been recording. I don't know what it's called. Is the that's the media. writing center? No, writing. Yeah, the writing center. Writing center. Yeah, I think I. Yeah, I was there once or twice when I. As yes. a student, but more, I've been there more of recording, but yeah, we're here today. Is, is school started? School starts a week from okay, today, so, right? Mm -hmm. But we should shut this hope. down. We yeah, should we should before down, we get too off the rails. All right. All right. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. <laughs>